the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, our worldwide audience of Rescuers radio show. And uh, as you know, uh, we can be heard every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. And we're on podcasts wherever. Just uh, just take a look and Google for, uh, Rescuers radio show. Dot com and you'll find us. I have a great guest here today that I'm really excited about, know him for a long time, and his name is Chuck Fitzgerald. Hi, Chuck. Hello, Art. Good to see you this morning. Yeah, it's good to be here. So uh, Chuck has a list of things that he's uh, been involved in across the valley, but we're going to start with asking him to give us a little backstory on you, Chuck. How did you get to this point in your life? Oh, my. (laughs) Give us the, not this version, but this version All right, the short version. Okay. Um, My wife and I moved out from Chicago in 1992. Chicago Uh, guy. We've lived in the same house ever since, and so that's kind of a fun thing. And um, I was selling software when I moved out here, and that business went away um, when 9-11 happened. And I found myself uh, looking for work in the nonprofit world. And that didn't work out all that well. Uh, And I found myself, really what I wanted to be is I wanted to be a big fish in a small pond. All right, so I was going to go to a nonprofit and and really help a nonprofit, right, with all my business acumen. But instead, I found myself working for the state of Arizona. (laughs) I was the small fish in the largest pond. And so it didn't work quite the way I had planned. But uh, I worked for the state for a while uh, doing community development work. And I worked for Governor Brewer, led her faith uh, initiative for a few years. And then I went and worked for the nonprofit I was looking for earlier and uh, did that for a couple years. Then I got a call to come back to the state. And so I'm back at the state now, have been for three and a half years. And I find myself uh, employed as the sergeant at arms at the Arizona House of Representatives. That sounds so military but it's not, is it? Uh, not at all. <laughs> and I, I really wanted to be gunnery sergeant, but they, but they wouldn't change the title. So ex- explain that to our audience. What is the sergeant of arms at the House of Representatives? Yeah, it took me a couple years to figure that out, uh, to be honest with you. But it, there's two pieces to it. One piece is the physical plant of the building. You know, it includes all of security, um, all the project work. Um, the pages uh, report to me. And so there's the customer service element and there's the building element. But the second piece is the one that's probably the the most unique, and that is 
I, I'm in the mix with all 60 of the elected representatives here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so when they are in committees or on the floor debating and voting on bills, I'm right there with them. And so I get to, um, I think the way it was stated when I, when I uh, first took the job was, I'm responsible for civility and decorum on the floor of the house. <laughs> that really happens. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when they're throwing things across the room, you can't uh, you intervene, right? Yeah, they don't do a lot of that. They self police pretty well. But yeah. but I'm I'm in I'm in the mix, and so um, if I see some the line moving up somebody's face that they're getting hot under the collar collar, I'll I'll go over. The Talk to them and say, uh, you might not want to do what you're thinking about doing. Um, <laughs> if you're going to do something, run it by me first. Let's just kind of see how that sounds. Uh, wow. But I have permission to do that. Yeah. And um, I, in some regards, I'm a I'm a friend of the people that are in there, but I'm also there to make sure that everybody's safe and things are being done in the right way. Now, my guess is you do that when they're off their microphone, right? <laughs> yes. yes, of course. <laughs> it's one-on-one. That's right. That's comforting to know. And uh, there's peace. Yeah. Uh, when I first met you and we talked about it, you used the word peace. You're a peace officer. Yeah, well, <laughs> it is funny that you mentioned that word in that um, when when I interviewed for the job, the interview was a little unusual in that no one could tell me what the job was. <laughs> and um, But then the Speaker of the House at the time used the magic word, peace, with me. He says, I don't know exactly what the job is. But all I know is we need more peacemakers like you here at the house. Wow. And I was hooked. And that's been how long ago? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yep. Good for you. Yep. So um, not only that, but outside of your hat as a sergeant of arms at the Arizona House of Representatives, um, you you were at the onset of the governor's Office of Faith and Community Partnerships. Was that brand new? Yes. And was that under Governor Brewer's watch? Yes, okay. yes that's correct. All right. I couldn't remember how long that, that entity's been around. But. Yeah, so, yeah, so uh, the way this happened was um, Governor Napolitano uh, left Arizona to go work in the Obama administration. And when that happened, Governor Brewer moved in as governor. She was Secretary of State, and that's what happens. Secretary of State becomes governor. And at the time, there was an economic crisis in Arizona. And so the governor, now Governor Brewer, was going to make some pretty deep cuts to the budget, the mm-hmm. state budget. And she kind of knew the areas that were going to be hit. And so she put together a faith initiative, if you will, uh, that that addressed those issues that were going to be cut in the budget. And then she asked for that community guy over at DES to run it for her. <laughs> and that was me. Guy. Yes. And so um, she called it Arizona Serves. And so I ran Arizona Serves for Governor Brewer for five years. Um, and that became the Office of Faith and Community Partnerships toward the end of her administration. Okay. And today, that's a strong department uh, along with all the governors. Um, yeah, it is. It, um, the work that we did uh, was moved over into the Office of Children, Youth, and Family, and now it's the Office of Youth, Faith, and Family. Yeah. Um, and that's a very important to Governor Ducey at this point. Yeah. Uh, and and they've done wonderful things. I know um, I, I've been involved with, with issues with uh, – Drugs and addictions and yep. and uh, things like that. So, um, is that uh, Arizona serves? Is that what they were that department, or was it greater than that? It it was basically initiative, and the, and the whole purpose of Arizona serves was to to go out in the community and wherever the community was working on one of these five issues, mm-hmm. 
let's see if we can make it better. So one of those issues was, was foster care, for instance. Yeah. And so a lot of churches, a lot of organizations were doing great work in foster care, but there was, there was a little bit of a wall between, for instance, the churches, mm-hmm. the houses of worship, if you will, um, and the government. And so my job was to tear that wall down. So mm-hmm. if a house of worship had a foster care ministry, my job was bring all the resources of the state to that ministry and make it the best ministry possible. And so instead of building up government, the idea was let's build up community. Yeah. And so we did that. And foster care was one of the five issues. It was the largest of the issues. And there were a number of things that came out of that that uh, you and I have talked about in the mm-hmm. past. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was really because Governor Brewer had this vision that the community uh, needs to be part of the solution. Isn't that a novel idea? <laughs> right. Well, isn't it a novel idea for private business to do and nonprofits do more than the government can? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's the, tr- the true story yeah. right there. So um, uh, I think I first met you when you called together some community leaders and um, you were talking about the part of foster care at the release point. When they turn eighteen, yep. and you were you were talking about how to what to provide for them, right? Yeah, and that was a program that you developed, I think, through Arizona well, Shares. Uh, through Arizona Shares, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, um, not entirely. I mean, the government has had programs for children that are aging out of foster okay. care. Yeah, um, they call it the independent living program, and they have some other things around that. But the issue was the the larger community wasn't participating in that. It was basically the government was doing that. It was a program that the government uh, 100% ran. And so uh, so what do we do to help uh, with this issue of children aging out of foster care? The biggest issue in my mind was let's don't let them age out of foster care. Let's get them adopted if, <laughs> if, if at all possible uh, before they age out. And so Arizona Serves, under under the auspices of Arizona Serves, we created the Children's Heart Gallery. And the Children's Heart Gallery is its this idea of taking children that are kind of languishing in the foster care system for whatever reason. could be behavioral reasons. It could be um, they're older than maybe someone wants to adopt or whatever it may be. Uh, if they're languishing there, let's, let's lift these children up and let's promote them so that more people can see that they're available for adoption. Mm-hmm. And so we'd, we would do this through, uh, we'd take glamour shots of them, we'd write little bios, and <laughs> we'd basically, we would sell it. And my sales background in the past, <laughs> I thought that was an obvious thing to do. Let's tell the story about these poor children. And it, I mean, it was very unfortunate. Every time someone ages out of foster care, it's just heart-wrenching. It is. Um, you know, some do well with it, but most don't. And so the idea was, let's see if we can get get them adopted, find for, forever loving homes for them. And so because I was working with Governor Brewer's permission, you know, it's kind of like Nehemiah had the letters, you know, to take to the governors. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, hey, I need timber to rebuild the wall or I need bricks to do this or whatever. I kind of had the letter from the governor saying, we're going to do this. <laughs> and so it's surprising how much cooperation I got from everybody, um, in particular in CPS, which is now D- DCS, mm-hmm. to do this. And we did that. And um, my my estimate right now is there's probably somewhere around 700 children have been adopted out of that program 
that might not have otherwise been nice. adopted. So it's it's still a live oh, program yes. today. Okay, very much so. Children'sHeartGallery.org. Nice. Yeah, I, I would encourage anybody. I haven't to go heard look of at that. that. Um, and we've done a number of programs on foster care uh, throughout the year here, but um, that has never come up, and I'm glad to hear that. That's a, that's a wonderful program. So um, I have two things I want to talk to you about and uh, it, it go a little deeper with. Uh, one is the you, – you, you are on the Arizona Human Trafficking Council. Is that under the governor's auspice or – yeah, so I'm I'm no longer on that council. Okay, you're not. I, I was on that council under Governor Brewer and okay. for a while under Governor right. Ducey, but that is out of the governor's office. So there's so much going on right now with the border and and the state, you know, the state of where the border is, and and it's not a real comfortable place right now, especially for border states like Arizona. Um, and we've we've focused on the issue uh, of human trafficking. Uh, even though you're not on that council anymore, do you, what are your thoughts on that? On uh, what's being done, what can be done? It, it's it's a tough program to get your arms around. Law enforcement tries to figure it out. Once in a while, you see a sting operation where they find fifty or sixty people, and and it's just putting a dent in in the entire process. What do you what do you think? Well, this is I'm starting to wade yeah. into water. It yeah, isn't I, my water, so yeah. to speak, but. Um, um, I, I think when the first thing I think of when I think of it is I know this uh, isn't official. Yes. I'm just asking no, right. for Chuck's thoughts. Yeah. yeah, is how much evil there is in the world. Yeah, that's the thing I always come back to. Right. It's unconscionable. I, I have no idea how you could traffic someone. I just don't understand how that yeah. works yeah. Um, morally. Um, it's but I so I think there's a, a the large issue is a hard issue. There's a hard issue in in people in general and um, in traffickers specifically. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been involved in this a little bit in that we, uh, we've held seminars and we've brought speakers in to talk about it. I served on a, a board of a company that was looking at this larger slavery issue around the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the biggest thing that we can do is raise awareness. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Uh, even the professionals are having a very difficult time, uh, interceding and, and, rescuing people and so that's not for something for everybody to do you're not going to go out and start walking the streets at night and save somebody right. uh, don't do that uh, we have professionals that do that but raising awareness is another issue uh, it's happening right here in our communities it's happening in every community which yeah. is just heartbreaking yeah. so um, I was first brought to that issue because foster children are targets oh yes so you know a trafficker um, you know, tells a, a foster child, you're beautiful, or, um, you know, um, let me buy you a, a pair of shoes or whatever it is, yeah. and it just goes bad from there. So foster children, um, it's a big issue in, in foster care also. So it's another reason why we need to get these children out of foster care if we can. And get, get either reunify with their families if it's appropriate or, or find a forever loving home for them. Absolutely. It's, and it's... Um, you know, it's, it's it's really in group homes is where those are the easy targets for uh, traffickers. Yeah, and there, there are— I, I can hardly talk about it. It just breaks my heart. Oh, I know. And there's people that run halfway houses, and, and some of those—you're right. They're all vulnerable wherever they are right now. And, they're already in trauma. Yeah, yeah. They're already broken. Yeah. Um, and so it's—, it's uh, 
for lack of a better way to say it, it's, they're easy to pick off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and and there's a lot of stories, you know, we can't get into right now, uh, but there's a lot of stories developing even as we speak along the border with the yeah. traffic that's coming over. Uh, they can't keep track of who's coming across. They can't keep track of so much right now. Kids are being dropped off and just left yeah. to fend on their own. Yep. And it's not it's not a pretty picture for uh, for the whole situation and the states that have to be responsible as well along the border. But um, in case you've just uh, tuned in to the Rescuers Radio Show, we're speaking with Chuck Fitzgerald, the current Sergeant at Arms of the Arizona House of Representatives. So. Um, you were at the front end. I, I thank you for sh- sharing the heart gallery because when I saw that, I really didn't know what that was. But what a great concept that is to to uh, bring everybody aware that that these kids or young adults, by the time they're eighteen or so, are available for, uh, for to bring going to your home. Yeah, they need they, a loving, loving home. They need a loving home. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably the best thing we can do for them. It is the best thing we can do for them. Yeah, you know, um, it's one thing to give them services and give them in-state tuition and all these other things, or tuition free, or yeah. you know, those things are great too. But without a loving support system, um, it's tough. That's the basic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you you were, uh, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you f- you founded. The Peoria Peace Initiative, is that you're doing? Yes. So tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> expand. Uh, expand. Okay, okay. So uh, several things happened all at once in my life. One, I already talked about how the, the Speaker of the House says, all I know is we need more peacemakers like you here at the House of Representatives, <laughs> right? At roughly the same time, a pastor at, at my church stood at the front and said, there's a big difference between being a peace lover and a peacemaker. Which are you? Wow. Right? Wow. Because <laughs> I, I thought it was a peacemaker, but I was really a peace lover at the peace time. Lover, right? yeah. And then um, I had a meeting with the superintendent of schools in Peoria, and um, I, I did that through my connections with Rotary. And so I asked the superintendent, what do you need? And he couldn't tell me. He did he couldn't tell me what kind of help he needed. And I said, I'm not leaving until you give me something. And uh, uh, it was a full minute of silence. It was a very long time. And he finally said, an issue we have in the schools, it's not just our schools, but schools kind of everywhere, is this issue of self-harm. Wow. You know, uh, kids are not just cutting themselves. Cutting, yeah. uh, suicide rates are up. Yep. Um, just the whole gamut of self-harm. Well, and coming through the era of COVID, it just uh, yeah. accentuated oh, all yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he also said, in addition to self harm, there's bullying, there's other violence, and just. And I'm thinking, great, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> Here's the superintendent of schools that yeah. tells me this is what he needs. And so what we, what I asked is, I said, well, okay, um, when it comes to things like bullying and self harm, now, how do you talk to the students? He says, well, we have this book for students on things not to do. We have a book for teachers on things not to do. We have a book for parents on things not to do. And I said, well, is there a book for things they can do? And there was dead silence. I don't know why I said that, but I was almost being a smart aleck, I guess, when I said it. Uh, But there wasn't one. So I went off and I tried to find something. And so lo and behold, I found somebody who is an expert in peace literacy who has curriculum for... Uh, K-12, 
uh, that just embeds in whatever really? curriculum we have. It's how to use peace, peaceful language in classrooms and how to use it in a, in a school setting. Peaceful behavior. Yeah, it's language. just the way we word yeah. things. Uh, yeah. You be quiet back there, you know, or whatever. Whatever the yeah. things are that we say, they're not always helpful. And so um, I brought him in to speak to the school district. He spoke to all the teachers. And, um, and out of that, we raised some money uh, at that time. And for the money, we had to, we had to spend it on something because he wouldn't take the money. And so what we did is we put a little peace area in a high school. We put a peace pole up, some benches, and we activated peer mediation in that campus. So that when the students have to do something to uh, mediate something, they do it themselves, and they do it in that space. And so I, I needed a nonprofit to do that. Uh, Peoria Peace Initiative is kind of how that happened. <laughs> and um, and so we have that now. At, um, it's at Centennial High School in Peoria, Arizona. So, um, you know, that 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 is so needed, and, and, and COVID has just exposed – and ex- accelerated and Absolutely. spiked, however you want to say it. All the isolation, yeah. loneliness, yeah. all that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and and along with those things are not, not pleasant things usually. Domestic violence, addictions, it can you be, it. there's a lot of issues around that. But that's going, it's still going on now, and it's yes. based in that one high school. In, it's in that one high school Centennial. right now. Yep. Wow, that's, that's really good. Um, so... Um, Along with that, can we talk about the quiet room? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right, so another thing that kind of came We're not going to be quiet while you're talking about the quiet room. Okay, so. all right, yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> I, I don't think we can do that. No. Um, so another thing that came out of having uh, this peace literacy training and all that was this idea of no one's talking about peace in our communities. Everybody thinks peace is a UN's job or it's over there somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, but... Uh, what about here in our own community? So I decided, uh, let's just get some people together. So I called it a conference, uh, <laughs> and uh, we had a one-day conference, and we brought in people to talk about different parts of peace, and it went well. And we said, eh, let's do that again. And so we did it again. And uh, the fourth one is coming up uh, on September 17th of this year, wow. and I call it the Pursuing Peace Conference. And pursuingpeace.org is how you find out more about nice. that. But um, the very first peace conference that we had uh, which was now four years ago, there was a woman that attended who um, is a de- detective for the Phoenix PD. And about six months after that c- conference, I got a phone call from her, and she says, hey, I wonder if uh, you'd come talk to us because we need some of that peace over here. And she was half joking but half serious, right? And um, so I did, and we met. We met at the Phoenix 911 call center in South Phoenix. This is a room where there's 40 or 50 people sitting there answering 911 calls. And the idea was um, they answer some pretty horrific calls. And the the two worst calls, um, just so everybody knows, that they receive are when an officer is down or when a child is drowned. Those are the two worst things. And it's tough on these operators. They hear uh, they have to keep people on the phone. They hear the wailing of the family in the background or whatever. Mm you know, whatever the issue is, and they need to decompress afterwards. So they were looking for a place in the building w- that could be built out such that these operators could go there and decompress and reset should they need to do that. And so 
very quickly. They showed me their their current quiet room, which was a little closet between two restrooms. <laughs> if, you, if you were in there and someone was using the restroom, you'd hear the toilets flush and that sort of thing. And I said, uh, you're sending the wrong... Not very quieting. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> sending the wrong message here. It's yeah. not very important if this is your space. And they go, well, we don't have any room. And I said, well, what about that copy room we just passed? And we went and we looked at a beautiful room. All that was in it was a copier. <laughs> I said, put the copier in the little closet. Let us work on this room. And we did. I went out and I found some partners, raised some money, got some volunteers, got some things donated. And we have a 911 quiet room now. And we had a, a press conference with uh, Mayor Gallego and, and Chief Williams, and uh, that kicked off about two and a half years ago. Wow. Can they have access to counseling maybe, or is, are there, are there uh, needed things like that Yeah, the available? police department has that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, okay. They offer that type of thing. But they just didn't have the place where someone could go have a good cry or yeah. or go work on needlepoint or whatever it is right. to, to reset. Yeah. So they use it every day. It's right. amazing. So throughout this interview with you, a word is uh, common throughout yeah. peace. Yeah, you're, peace. You're, you're, you're a gentleman of peace. Well, <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you. I try to be, but um, there aren't enough people talking about it. Everybody yeah, thinks it's somebody right. else's job, but mm-hmm. it's it's a hard issue. And um, it's, it's something that I've kind of picked up along the way. I've, I've gotten cues. Sometimes it's been the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes it's uh, just been um, pretty you know, a different kind of obvious. But being connected is a, is a part of that. And so I would encourage everybody to stay connected. And when you're connected, um, empathy grows. And when empathy grows, so does peace. Nice. Chuck Fitzgerald, you are a rescuer, whether you admit that or not, you are. And thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Rescuers Radio Show, every Thursday at 5.30 at Faith Talk 1360, faithtalk1360.com, or all the podcasts we have now can be heard. Just uh, Google uh, Rescuers Radio Show, and you'll find it. Have a great day. Blessings. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.